We're looking at Samek, or Samek, whichever way it's said. It is uh, probably closely akin to R um, S, uh, but there's a couple of other that are close to R S also. But um, a lot of the Hebrew letters, according to the Greek, to the Hebrew scholars, say that they have value to them. For instance, we talked about um, one a few months ago, or a few weeks ago. But now Semek has got kind of a value of a pillar or a post, someone that something that you lean up against, something that supports you, and uh, so consequently, every sentence in this octave. Of, of verses, a octave of verses from verses 113 to 120 starts with this Hebrew letter. And of course, we see that uh, that uh, verse 16 is really the theme of the entire octet of verses. Uphold me according to your word. Uphold or bring me up, or let me lean on you, so forth. So we see this. This uh, Psalm uh, 119, 114, um, verse 114, was actually the verse that uh, if you've read anything about Corey Ten Boom, she was very popular back uh, a few years ago uh, because she was uh, an older lady who wrote a book about uh, her experiences as a Christian family in Holland, her and her sister, her whole family, but her and her sister especially, they hid Jews in their home. And it worked out all the way into the last year of the war. And uh, they were taken into uh, uh, custody and sent to a concentration camp where her sister and most of her family, did not all of her family die except her. And she was uh, scheduled to go to the... Uh, did her father leave? Okay, but... To, right. But... Um, she was scheduled to be executed or, or gassed herself, and there was a clerical error, and they just she just found herself with the door open, and she walked out the gate, uh, well, or the gate open, and she walked out of the gate. But uh, she has a very touching story about uh, what it was to be in the uh, concentration camp. My, one of my favorite is about the fleas, and I've used that several times as an illustration of uh, how that. Uh, her sister praised God for the fleas, and uh, or thanked God for the fleas, and she said she just could not thank God for the fleas in the concentration camp until she found out that the reason that the guards weren't coming in to check on them was because of the fleas, and they were hiding a Bible, and they were having Bible study, and she won many people to the Lord with that Bible in uh, uh, the prison camp. And so uh, then again, she learned how to thank God, not uh, for the fleas, but, or what, you, get, you give thanks to God for, not and for all things, but in all things we give thanks. So she learned to do that. But, um, you know, you are my hiding place. So this is a great passage about personal refuge. We talked about the city of refuge, refuge, which are really the picture of God's protection and God's care for us. And so, and of course, that's um, in the um, division of the land of the Levites, having the city of cities of refuge where a person could flee until they were tried or whatever. So we see now, and uh, with this psalm, we'll begin reading in verse 
113 of Psalm 119. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, ye evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold my, excuse me, uphold me according to your word that I may live. Do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Hold me up and I will be safe and I shall observe your statutes continually. You reject all those who stray from your statutes for their deceit is falsehood. You put away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. And so we see, first of all, there's that spiritual separation. There's a statement, uh, I hate the double-minded. Now, the double-minded is a little bit more sinister than you just can't make up your mind as far as, you know, do I buy the Chevrolet or Ford or whatever? Or, Lord, I, I want to serve you, but well, I'm, you know, I'm afraid or, you know, I'm, I want to serve you, but I have my doubts. And we've seen him having to work through that. A double-minded man in the Bible, and, and really it's, uh, we, James uh, pretty well gives us a good definition because we see in James 4, uh, verses 8 through 10, and I just uh, I left some of it out, but he says, um, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Uh, lament or cry and uh, mourn and weep. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, if you go back to that psalm and see in the context, he's talking about a lot of people that have been fighting back and forth from what's come wars and fighting among you. So he's talking about a lot of proud people that name the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and yet they have all kinds of problems as far as their personal lives. And the two don't seem to be uh, coming together. And so they can go to church and praise the Lord, but then they go out and live like the world. And that's not the type of person. And he says, I, I detest that type of person. I don't want to be that kind of person. Uh, many of us have seen, and you have, to, you have seen, where people can be so pious at church, and then you are so disappointed when you find out anything about their personal lives or whatever, because they can live two different lives spiritually. And he says, I don't want that. And I, I hate those. And he says, I hate the double-minded. I, he's not saying I hate people. But he says, I hate double-mindedness. I don't want to be around double-minded people. And so it's not that he hates the person, he hates their philosophy of life. And so we see that he says, and also we see that he says, and in, uh, in, in James says in one, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, um, Let not that man suppose that he receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, un- and unstable in all of his ways. And as King James says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So a person like that is going to have a hard time with their prayer life. Now, again, there's a difference between a double-minded person and a person like we see here where he's clinging to the Lord and yet sometimes is filled with doubts. 
There's a difference between that. When you're really working toward the Lord, then that's one thing. But if you just, uh, and of course, let him ask in faith. So we do ask in faith. And yes, there is that element of double-mindedness when we start going off the, and start doubting and getting our eyes on the problem rather than on the power of the Lord. And so, yes, there is that double-mindedness. But uh, there's that carnal double-mindedness where you really don't take God seriously. I mean, yes, we want all the blessings that God can give me. And boy, it sure is good to go to church. And you got a lot of good friends and you, your kids can learn a lot and all that. But uh, yet I still want to hang on to my old ways. And that's the double-mindedness where we intentionally want to hold on to sin or something that God wants us to give up. And so he says, I hate the double-mindedness or double-minded, uh, double but I love your law. Notice, the, uh, and there's the commitment. I love your law. I'm going to love your law. And we said Sunday morning that if God commands you to love something, somebody, then he'll give you the ability to do it. But, it's all, but love is a decision as well as an emotion. But the emotion many times will come after the obedience. And isn't that true about everything? Uh, when you, um, you don't always feel like doing the will of God, but in the end, when you do it, you feel good that you've done it. I didn't really want to now, of course, this was uh, other than keeping my body uh, working for the Lord. I didn't really want to get up this morning and exercise, but uh, I really had figured, you know, I'd missed a couple of times. So I went out and I went to the mall and I just did not want to walk. But you know, by the end of it, I was glad I did. So a lot of times when you do the things you know you ought to do, when we do his goodwill, he abides with us still. The idea is, you know, you're glad that you went ahead and did what you knew you had to do. But whenever God tells us to love somebody, then we love them by committing. But for one thing, we can pray for them. We can, uh, another, it's really hard to hate somebody you're praying for. (laughs) But then, uh, then we could think of things that we can do for them. Or you realize that they've got a problem. I mean, some problem that you can pray for. Um, and so uh, we see that uh, a double-minded man is not going to do that. A double-minded man is always, you know, it's, he's, he's uh, departmentalized his life. He's got, you know, this way and God's not going to penetrate it. But, you know, I'm going to come over here and I'm going to get all the gleanings of the Lord that I can and so he says, I hate that type, of per- uh, that type of living. I hate that type of person. Uh, the word hate there is not despise, but love less. I'm not going to, and we'll see in just a moment what he talks about. But then the second thing we see, and this is the, the theme of the passage. He says, you are my refuge. You are my hiding place. You are the place where I can go for safety. So first of all, we see that you are my safety. And notice he says, you are my refuge, you are my hiding place and my shield. Now, the hiding place is where you go for safety. That's where you go for refuge. That's where you get by yourself. And that's many times as as a, uh, we, we just want to be alone with the Lord. Well, that's a good refuge. But then also you're my shield. Well, the shield is what you've got to have when you're out in public. It's when you're out deal, doing warfare. And so you're my refuge, you're my safety and private as well as when you tell me to go forth into the battle. And so you're both my, my hiding place 
as well as uh, my protection in battle. And so, no, I can't stay there all the time. Uh, sooner or later, I've got to get out of my nest. I've got to get out of just praying and seeking God. I know I've got to go out and face the world. I just, uh, you know, I'm not a monk or whatever. I don't go around praying all, you know, with my hands folded and do absolutely nothing. You got to get up, get up and go to work the next day. You still got to meet those people that don't like you and they do you do like you or whatever. Uh, and so, Lord, be my shield. And so, you're my refuge and my hiding place, and you're my shield and my protection in battle. But then notice the third thing he says: you're my hope. You're my expectation. And this is where I just started picking up the song that we sang this morning or this uh, before we started. You know, how firm a foundation. Uh, Lord, you're, you're my hope. Everything about it. I've thrown my life. I've launched out into the deep. I told you that I was going to trust you. And so I'm going to take you at your word. And so I'm going to live that life of faith by belief in your word that you are always right. And so I'm going to, the, the more I know about your word, the more I can follow your word. But I'm committed to loving you and uh, my hope, my expectation is that your word will find, that I will find it true. And so first of all, we see there's that spiritual separation. Then there's that safety in God's word. But now notice in verse 15, there's a social separation. What I mean by that, is uh, about our friends. Notice he says, uphold me according to your word that I may live and do not let me be, excuse me, whoops, let's go back to verse 15 after I skipped over. Okay, he says, uh, depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. And so, and this is a conscious desire not to get emotionally involved in those who don't walk with God. Now, yes, I've got to be friendly to them. I've got to work with them. I sure hope they think me as pleasant. But as far as my best friends, they're not my confidants because I realize there's a whole different philosophy of life. I can love them. I can pray with them. Uh, I can it, they let them come to me with, for problems or whatever. But, uh, but I've got to practice Psalm 1. Where he says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. I don't want to take the counsel of the mainstream way of thinking things. I've got to take my counsel in the word of God. After all, God is my counselor. He's the, uh, he's the, very pleasant counselor, isn't he? He's a wonderful counselor. And so I, I've got to judge what these people say by the word of God, and I can't follow their counsel. They tell me to go out and let's go out and have a good time and whatever, get drunk or whatever. Uh, I can't go that route. And of course, that's the extreme. But every day, the person who's unsaved is going to have something that you can't agree with. Excuse me in their lives. And so you want to love them, but you're always in guard. And so there's that spirit, that social separation. So blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinner. That's the person who's sitting you know, around the water cooler and they chew the fat and then they get off in all kinds of other things uh, that, uh, 
that they shouldn't be talking about. And so uh, there again, that doesn't mean that you don't drink a cup of coffee with, you know, some coworker or whatever, but it does mean that they're not going to be your best friends. Uh, there's always that difference uh, that you know is there, and you're always on guard because you're looking for a way, Lord, uh, these people are unsaved. I want to get them saved. And so we look at, so I want them to become my spiritual friends. But uh, then again, we know in First uh, Corinthians 15, verse 33, he says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good manners, King James says, or the new King James says good habits. So uh, th there is a, an adage, you can tell a man by his what? By his friends. Who does he like to hang around with? Who do you find him with in his spare time? What is he doing with, uh, with his life? Now, of course, you've got to be around people at certain times, family members and all that. But if you had a choice to be just to really uh, be around people, who do you want to be around? I want to be around God's people. Uh, so... Uh, there again, I can go with my family, but I've got a lot of family members that are unsaved. And I'm always a little on edge because, uh, because they're always thinking I'm going to preach at them, being a preacher or whatever. But uh, so you have to be, you know, you, you try your best to love them and care for them and let them know that uh, you're thinking about them. Uh, but you realize that there just isn't a whole lot you have in common with them. You can't really let your, you know, let go and let your, you know, give them, talk heart to heart with them or whatever. Most of the time, of course, you'll say, wait a minute, Pastor, I know an exception there. We got together and cried over my mother who passed away. Well, yes, I mean, yes, but is that every day? So, you know, so I'm not saying that we have this rigid thing, you are unsafe, so I don't get with you. No, it's that wisdom that we pray for that what God would give us. And Lord, give me some good spiritual friends. Give me people that love you. And uh, I know that I pass from death into life because I love the brethren. And so I want to be around a lot of good, uh, I want to be around my crowd or the, my people. And so, uh, but then again, I'm, you put me in the world. So whenever I'm out in the world, Lord, make me a great ambassador to the devil's crowd. You know, or whatever. And so we see that he says, uh, uh, the idea then is we want to be with, our delight is in the law of the Lord. In his, in his law, we delight day and night. And because we want to grow in his word. So there's that uh, spiritual separation where you just don't want to be around people that are double-minded. And then there's that social separation Whereas, you know, you can't be around people unless they're walking with the Lord. And so uh, uh, we, we can't just follow. That's one of the things I had to learn as a teenager. When I was 19 years old, the Lord really hit me. He said, if you keep following the crowd, you're never going to serve me. And so I could, you know, I'd go to church and boy, I really liked being in, with the uh, people there and they loved me and all that. And they really, I look back on how many people really spent a lot of time investing their lives into me uh, growing up. And what a blessing that was. But then when I got with the devils, well, not with the, well, with the unchurched crowd, uh, and I don't, you know, I don't have any great confessions to make, and I didn't go off and live in a motorcycle gang or anything like that. But uh, at the same time, um, it was one of those things where I was influenced by 
the world's crowd. And I never really would take a stand for the Lord publicly. And so, uh, but I remember um, uh, times when the Lord said, okay, you do it now. And boy, I had to, and I remember one time, okay, he's got religion. You know, you know, you know just interesting how some of the responses that people will give you. But um, so we see that there is that, uh, Lord, I'm committed my life to you and I'm not going to be with the crowd. So is it always easy to do that? No. Are there failings at times? Yes. Are there unwise decisions at times growing in the Lord? Yes. But the but there again, the trends. You're looking for a person who's trying to go the right way. And yes, though they stumble, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he directeth his way. Though he fall, yet will the Lord uphold him with his hand. He will not be cast down, but will be the Lord will uphold him with his hand. So we see that uh, that separation. Then we see in verse 16, we see that support for the for the word uh, uh, or from God's word. He says, Lord, I'm going to really depend on your word. He says, uphold me according to your word that I may live. I mean, <laughs> and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. So two things here, uphold me with your word that I may live. Uh, the idea, Lord, you know, if you're my life, then show me how powerful your word is. One of the best ways to know that God fulfills his promises is to hold on to those promises and watch God answer, to answer prayer. And of course, tribulation works patience and patience hope. Why? Because those trials that come in life and we say, help, Lord. And we see this man earlier, we saw that one uh, octave where he said, help. Well, here we, we have those times, but it's a blessing to see when God leads us all the way. You know, I have, well, for I know whatever befall me, Jesus does all, doth all things well. Or that Jesus led me all the way. We sing all the way that my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Um, why? Because those are experiences, though, that come from experience. <laughs> you know, those are things that, Lord, you've done it before. You can do it again. And that's why we mentioned something about uh, prayer and our prayer request. Um, we don't want to take God for granted, even though he has answered multiple times certain things about our needs or whatever. You never want to take, okay, Lord, you've done it before. I don't even know. Uh, every every uh, uh, challenge is a new challenge. It's a new test. And so we want to always remember that God is the faithful one. So, but of course, um, here he's saying, Lord, that I may live. And of course, the writer of Hebrews says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of my heart. So Lord, help me. You're discerning. Give me insights through your word. So notice how he's clinging to the word and he's trusting and he's hoping in the word. And of course, uh, that great passage, uh, Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? 
And then, of course, we saw back in uh, one, verse 105, the word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I have sworn and, uh, and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. So here it's my life. It's a light. It's a, it's a, it's a, a lamp to my feet. So Lord, illumine me. Give me understanding. And so we see that uh, this is the, the prayer. And hold me up. And of course, he said, I don't want to be ashamed. He says, hold me up. Uh, the next phrase. And there's that support again. And I shall be safe. So he says, uh, of course, this song that we love to sing and we just sang. Uh, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Can we trust God? Can, what more can he say than he says? It's not for him to say any more to us and ask God to you know, open up a, a voice from heaven. But Lord, find it in the Lord. This is what you've said. And this is what I can believe. You've promised me that you'll never leave me or forsake me. And so, Lord, I can trust you. You tell me that, uh, that you'll lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. So, Lord, I want to uphold your name. Show me that that's the best way. Show me. Now, I realize that I may have to sacrifice. I mean, I might have a friend or someone that will betray me or someone who will laugh at me. But Lord, show me that your way is best. And when you start seeing that happen, those are the blessings of, of walking with the Lord and uh, seeing what he does. Hold me up and I shall be safe. And so um, he's asking the Lord for that. And then we see the last three verses, verses 18 through 20. He's dealing with God's divine judgments. And those, he talks about, he uses these terms again, where we see statutes and we see testimonies and judgments. And so uh, the statutes are, of course, the divine law that's laid down, right or wrong. And the test testimonies are what God has shown that he can do in other people's lives through in the scriptures or even in personal lives. And then those judgments are those calls that we see um, where, where there's a definite right and wrong. And we must say, Lord, this looks crazy, but I'm going to follow you. I'm going to, if you tell me to march around Jericho, I'll march around Jericho. No, he's not going to do that to us. But, uh, you know, Joshua had to come up with that. But that was a testimony of the Lord. And we saw all that God blessed. And so we see that uh, he says, first of all, you reject those who stray from your statutes. So there get those who intentionally go away from your direct word. He's going to cause a problem. And this is where, you know, when, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And to whom much is given, much is required. But here we see, of course, I like uh, uh, what, uh, what we looked at on Sunday morning. Uh, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Uh, uh, but, if, but then, of course, though your sins be as scarlet. Notice again, when you reason with the Lord, he's always right. Though your sins be as scarlet, he doesn't have any sin. 
They'll be, they'll be red like crimson. He doesn't have any sense. So everything, if, if anything, you're all wrong and he's all right. And he is the standard. That's the word righteous. Uh, the word righteous is that standard. Whenever um, we talk about the ruler, uh, whenever you want to, the ruler is a standard. And so if you measure off exactly one foot and it's a foot ruler, then you have a righteous uh, measurement. If you take that straight edge and run it perfectly across a piece of page, then that is a righteous line. If you build a building and it perfectly lines up from one corner to the other, then it is righteous. That's the terminology that uh, we see here. And so uh, he says, Lord, you're the one who's perfect. It's your standard. So first of all, we see in verse 18, you reject those who stray, those who just don't want your, your standards. And so, you know, you're not going to get God's best when you rebel against him. And that's what uh, the writer of what uh, Isaiah says, uh, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. But then uh, notice the last part of that. The reason I left out so much of the verse, I, you notice I tried to keep it all on one page and I went to the very bottom here with these uh, verses or with uh, the typing today. But he says, um, he says, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured. This, he was talking to the Israelites at the time. He said, I want to reason with you. I want your sins to be forgiven. I want to wash you whiter than snow. But if you refuse, uh, he says, uh, you shall be devoured. He was talking about how that they had gone so far down as a nation that they were just about past the point of no return. This kind of scares me about our nation. But he says, but then, then what is the final authority? I like what he says. And they started off in chapter one and we see it all the way through all 66 chapters. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In other words, God said it. Now, God said it, you can believe it. But then God said it, so you better believe it. And so there's two, that's a two-edged sword, isn't it? The word of God is a two-edged sword. You, it's a, a book of love, but it is also a book of wrath for those who don't. And so we see that the mouth of the Lord, he, and he's the Lord our God, and he changes not. And so whatever he says is true. And so we see, first of all, then, um, the, the statutes, those who reject the statutes. Notice what, another thing about that here. Um, he says that uh, for their deceit is falsehood. Notice the next thing. You put away all the wicked of the earth like dross or dross. And dross or slag is that, uh, that refiners, whenever they would heat up the, the uh, boiling pot or whatever, they, and they would put the metal in there and they would heat it to the point where the impurities would come to the top. And that's called, uh, is it dross or dross? <laughs> dross, okay or slag or whatever. So it's, it's the stuff on top that wasn't good. Now, we're not talking about uh, milk because of course, butter rises to, to the top, but we're talking about the impurities in gold or uh, any of the metals that are out there. And so he says that uh, he's gonna 
put away the wicked like dross. One day, you, of course, he's going to burn the world with fire. But some of the heat of the, uh, that we go through in life is to burn away our dross. And I would rather for him to, that, that he would burn away the stuff that's on me than the stuff that's in me. <laughs> what I mean by that is uh, uh, he, I don't want to be the, the wicked who are the dross. I want to say, Lord, whatever's dross in my, purify me. And of course, we'll, we see this. But he says, you put away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. Notice how he turns it around again. So we see that that uh, idea of dross is the idea that he, draw, he, he draws the impurities out of the world. Now, that tells me, and that's the reason that you have the next verse. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. So here he's made all these commitments, but there's two reasons. One is because I want your blessings, and I know that I can trust you. But the other thing, Lord, is I'm just downright fear of what you can do. Now, I'd rather be fear of the Lord that I disappointed him than, uh, than I'm about ready to get something because I deserve it or something, you know, whatever, uh, something that I know that I uh, uh, rebelled against him. But um, the idea here uh, is like Paul says, and of course that chapter in Romans chapter 7 of uh, where Paul says, the things that I would, I would not, and the things that I should not, those things I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. He's saying, you know, there's my old flesh. I know, and there again, he says in verse seven, chapter seven, verse 18, he says, I know that is within me, that is within my flesh, there dwells no good thing. I'm just, I mean, my old fleshly nature is sinful. And no matter how good I get, I've got to realize I've still got a lot of dross in my life that God's got to bring out. And so I never, I praise the Lord for the fact that I'm forgiven, but uh, I don't go around and look at these people like the double-minded or the wicked and say, well, I'm just so much better than they are. No, I realize I'm still just as bad as they are and except by the grace of God there, I'd be with them. So, yes, I fear that. I fear that I would fall back into sin. Now, uh, and of course, this is what uh, Paul said again about when he talked to the Corinthians. When he said, he said, uh, I keep under my body, he says, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself have become a castaway. That's uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 13, for some reason that I didn't put that on there. 1 Corinthians 15, 13. And so, uh, in your notes. So, um, here we see that uh, he says, I, now the Apostle Paul, whenever you see these, these pictures, medieval art really kind of bothers me. Because we see in Isaiah 52 and 53, the Lord wasn't much to look at as far as a, you know, the conquering hero, the he-man, um, the great god Zeus or Jupiter or whatever. No, he's just a common man. But nothing much to look at. And who is we believe every part? A guy like that's coming here and he's, you know, he's, what? He's from Nazareth. Didn't come from a good family. Look at him. He's no big, you know, giant or anything. He's not even good looking. 
from what the Bible says, you know, as far as what the world would consider good looking. And yet, who's going to, who would believe that about him? And so we see that, uh, um, that he says, my, my flesh trembles because I'm afraid, I'm afraid of your judgments. I want to see you work in my life, but so I have to discipline myself. And of course, okay, let me finish my thought there. You know, whenever you see the picture of some of these old pictures of the Lord, uh, the, lower, uh, the Last Supper or whatever, he's got a halo over his head. I don't think he had a halo over his head. And he wasn't a red-headed, uh, bearded Irishman either. I just saw a picture of that the other day in, on somebody's house. Uh, now, if you got that picture up in your house, don't think I'm going to condemn you or anything. But, uh, you know, you know that's the given picture of the Lord today. So at least you got something better than, you know, whatever. That's a no judgment call to me as far as I'm concerned. But, uh, but he, he didn't have a halo over his head. And uh, then when you see the Apostle Paul, and of course they've got him, you know, with a halo over his head. Or Mary, you know, with a halo over her, her head. Uh, these were just normal people. And what made them so great was that people were surprised that they were such normal people that God could use. I mean, you know, the Lord says he doesn't use very many mighty and very many rich. Um, he uses the base things of the world to confound the mighty. One time I was uh, listening to an evangel. We had some young people and uh, I kind of liked his illustration. He said, how many high school quarterbacks do we have here? And there was a couple of guys raising you know, and all this. Uh, how many cheerleaders? Are, uh, how many homecoming queens? And there was one out there, all this kind of stuff, you know. And he said, uh, oh, that's great. Uh, he says, how many just old nobodies are here? And everybody else raised their hands, you know. He said, you know, those are the people, you're the people God can use. You know, and they, were, and they just, you know, just closed down. No, of course, uh, well, can God use a high school quarterback? Yes. Uh, so we see that uh, he can use anybody that will give their lives to, the, to him. But um, we see that, uh, then that, that he was afraid that he could fall. Never get so big that you don't think you can fall. Let a man who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. There again, I... Uh, um, back when Cokes cost a quarter. Uh, there was a guy that uh, um, that was actually, not youth group, well, it actually was a youth group, but he became a good football player. He wasn't a quarterback, but uh, he made a couple of, he got his name in the paper several times, and he kind of walked around church like he was a big guy. Uh, there was a very wise guy in the church with uh, that worked with young people, and uh, this guy got a little cocky. And I remember uh, um, the man talking to him, and I'm trying to avoid names right now, but uh, he said, you know, that was a great game you had the other day. And boy, it was really good. That was a really nice article in the paper about you. But don't forget, every time you go to a Coke machine, the, the Coke is still gonna cost you a quarter. You know, it's just one of those things, you're still going to buy things. And so no matter how, what you do, uh, you're, there's no free ride. And even those who have free rides and get all kinds of things, they find things in their lives that you find out that they were, even though they might have had a lot of money, 
there were other things that were not fulfilled in their lives. We all have problems. And so never, never get so big that you think that you cannot be afraid of falling. Now, I don't want to always think about, oh man, I'm afraid of, no, I want to have confidence in walking with God, but I want to have a good spiritual radar that when it goes off, I listen because I know that's danger. So I want to fear God that way, that Lord, give me that radar so that whenever there's that tension or whatever where I'm not doing your will, then let, it, let me hear it before you really have to hit me with it. And so, yes, I want to fear the Lord, but I want that to be in the background. I want the foreground to be that I'm walking with the Lord and victory and loving him. And so, of course, we just these songs that we sing or the uh, How Firm a Foundation, when through fiery trials the, thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus hath learned has leaned for repose. I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I never, no, never, no, never forsake. That's one of those uh, Greek terms, and I did take Greek, not Hebrew. But uh, when there's a double negative like that, and it's written with a certain tense, and I won't get into all the Greek, it means it absolutely can't happen. And when the Lord says, I'll never forsake you, it's in that perfect tense, perfect past perfect tense or whatever in Greek, which means it happened, it can never happen. When it's once and for all, uh, that's a tense also, which is it can only happen one time, never happened before, never happened again. We sing that song about the Lord once for all, the Lord Jesus Christ saves us. And so here we see that uh, there some of these terms like I never, no, never. So we put it in English very, I mean, the songwriter did here uh, three times. I never, no, never, no, never forsake. And God will never forsake us because he promised us eternal life. Okay, any questions or comments about what we looked at tonight?